So this oracle is what it is. It's a vision. This is something that uh, the prophet, uh, by the man by the name of uh, Balaam, had. This sermon is about essentially looking at Israel. That's all he did. Uh, In the book of uh, Numbers, turn there to Numbers uh, 23, uh, you'll see um, that we're going to be talking about Israel as the people of God. Perhaps you remember from the previous uh, few sermons, we've been talking about Israel as the guy named Jacob. We had uh, looked at his whole life. Jacob is a man. And toward the end of his life, he had a name change. His name went from being Jacob to Israel. So before Israel, as we speak of it now as a nation, before it was ever a nation, before Israel was ever a nation, it was a person. It was one man named Jacob who had his name changed to Israel. So before it was ever a nation, it was a person. But that person multiplied into a nation, had many sons and a multitude, and they went down into Egypt and had slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And that nation, that multitude that came from one man whose name was Israel, was freed, was redeemed, walked through the Red Sea. Moses led them out into freedom, into the wilderness. And now here, as we pick it up in Numbers 23, they are beginning to enter into promises. They are beginning to enter into the land that God offered to them. This promised land, we call it. The thing that people are still, even today, very worked up about. The promised land of God. Israel over there on the other side of the world. This is that land that they begin to take on for themselves as the people of God, as Israel. And so there's a man in that land. His name um, was Balak. He was the king of a region called um, Moab, which was one small region in this thing, this promised land that was given to them. And he saw how vast the multitude of the number of Israel were, and that they already had been subduing areas around him. And he was worried and concerned that he would, in fact, be overtaken by them. And so what he did, as what was custom at the time in actual warfare, is he went and got a prophet uh, to curse the people of God. That's real uh, warfare, if you actually would be uh, surprised to believe it. And it hasn't changed much. What happens is actually he went to get a prophet to curse God's people so that he would win in war. They had gods of war, view that if you had a curse upon a people, you could have power over them on the battlefield. And it never really worked, but if you keep reading, what actually brought Israel down was sexual morality, uh, was cultural subversion, which is the same thing that's being done today. Like the commercials, the movies, it's all on purpose. I mean, it's literally documented. They did this against the church um, in Hollywood back in the 1950s. Like, why do they, why does a PG, why does a PG-13 movie have to say Jesus Christ's name in vain like five times? In one, in one, it, it's, why not Buddha's name in vain? Why, why, it's all on purpose. And it's not an opinion, it's actually documented that they began to do this in the 1950s to get against the Catholic, uh, the Christian church in, in America. So it was cultural subversion, which we are very much in the thralls of right now. But that's actually, if you were to read through uh, Numbers 23, um, 24, and then 25, 23 and 24 never work. He, they couldn't curse Israel, but we could subvert Israel into sin and then bring failure to the people of God, which is what we're experiencing now. But here we'll pick up with these curses that are coming to Israel in Numbers 23, It goes like this. He promised Balaam, um, 
much money. He's a very powerful prophet, Balaam it is, who was supposed to come and curse the people of God. In verse 7, it picks up. And he had an oracle. And he warned and said, I can only say what God has me to say. If you want me to curse Israel, I might be able to, I might not be able to. I can only say what the Lord would have. So you might not get your money's worth out of me. He warned him ahead because he's actually a true prophet. And this is the first oracle, the saying, the vision that Balaam had. From Aram, Balak has brought me. This is Balaam speaking. The king is Balak. From Aram, the king Balak has brought me, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. And he said, come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him. From the high hills I behold him. Behold, a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. And so that is the first prophetic oracle, word, a prophetic word that was spoken over Israel. He was called to curse Israel and all he could say were these good things of blessing. So much so at the end he would say, I actually wouldn't mind being like them. Let me be as righteous as them. Let my end be like this people. Because the king brought him up to a high overlook, a cliff, to see even a fraction of the multitude of Israelites he was supposed to curse. And as he looked upon them, this is all he could say. And so uh, Balak, the, the, the king who hired him, naturally says, what have you done? Why, why did you say that? I hired you to curse them. You're not cursing. All right. And then what happens is a series of three more episodes like this where he says, let's try another place. And he goes to another high place and says, the angle was wrong. You were on a wrong hill. Let's try it this way. And this is how we think. Numbers 23 again, now picking up at verse 18. It says, this hill will get them. Um, and Balaam took up his discourse and said, another oracle, Rise, uh, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I receive a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune for Jacob, nor has he seen trouble for Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of the king is among them. And God brings them out of Egypt, and is for them like the horns of a wild ox in power. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought in these people? Behold, a people... As a lion is rising up, as a lion lifts itself, it does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. If you are the enemy king, you don't want to hear those words. The blessing there is that these people are unique, distinct. They will be blessed and they will be victorious. They will be like a lion, victorious. They have come out of Egypt, the most powerful nation already at the time, victorious. And here they are on the hegemonic lines of his own kingdom. And he's given the words to say, they're going to plow right through you. These people will win. 
They have God's blessing. And so, of course, he's angry again. I told you to, to curse them. He says, don't curse them. Don't bless them. Don't say anything at all. He responds. And he says, didn't I tell you I only could say what the Lord would have me say? I told you ahead of time it could be like this. And so the king said, let's try this one more place again. And we're told in Numbers 24, picking up in verse 9, uh, that Balaam, this time we're told, he lifted up his eyes from this high place as he looked upon the people. And we're told, different this time, the Spirit of God came upon him. So he lifted up his eyes, the Spirit of God descends upon him, and now this is what's getting interesting. The prophetic words that we will read, the oracles that we will read now are getting much more interesting and much more detailed, much more distant. Oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. He starts off in verse 9. An oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and sees the vision of the Almighty. Falling down with his eyes uncovered, he is now seeing a spiritual vision. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like the palm groves that stretch afar like gardens beside the rivers, like the aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt, and is for him like the horns of a wild ox. And he shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces, and pierce them through with arrows. He crouches and lays down like a lion, like a lioness. Who can rouse him? Blessed are all those who bless you, and cursed are all those who curse you. Now we're told about a king. We're told about coming out of Egypt again. We're told about the strength of a lion in victory again. And we're finally warned, do not curse Israel, or you will be cursed. If you bless Israel, you will be blessed. We're given even more detail. And then Balaam responds after that and says, well, I'm leaving now. I'm going home. But he says, before I go, chapter 24 again, he has one more oracle, and he says, come, I will tell you what this people will do to your people. And this is the farthest reaching vision of all of them, the final one. And he sees an amazing image. The oracle of Balaam, he says, the son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eye is open. He's now looking way down the corridors of time. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down. His eyes are uncovered. He sees clearer than any human could ever see. He's seeing a vision of the Almighty. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. He's so far away. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And he shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed and Seir shall also, uh, also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly in this distant vision. And the one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of all cities. He's going to win. 
There's one who's coming out of Egypt. There's one who's coming from Israel. And he will exercise dominion. And in the prophetic perfect, you could say, he's seeing so far down into the future. But it's so vivid before him, he speaks about it as the present. Where he says, he is doing valiantly. He speaks as though he is now conquering. Yet, he clearly says he's not even here yet. This is a vision about the latter days, he says. One who is not even here yet. Yet he is already one. Because it is so certain, it is so sure. This is the prophetic word of the Almighty. It cannot fail. That though he's not here, he is already one. He already has dominion. He has already cracked every crown of every kingdom. Though it might not look as though he's even here or has dominion over all the kingdoms. And here you and I are with the privilege of standing inside this telescope. Being able to look that far down and see where we are in God's great plan of saving the world from her sin. The oracle, he says, is a vision. There are four visions here, which we just read. These are prophetic words that are described as being visionary. He is seeing something, and then he's articulating what he is seeing through speech. And each time, each time he gets more honed in on the detail. He goes deeper into the vision, down further in the timeline, and with greater detail of this person. This man. It's a phenomenon of a mental clear image. You've, you've probably had these, of course. A very vivid image in your mind that was probably of your own imagination of some sort, but it was very real. We can produce images in our mind right now if we were to close them. But this is something that is given outside of him, given to him to see. And it is uniquely God-ordained. This is not a human imagination. The last two visions begin with a description. He sees a vision of the Almighty. His eyes are open. His eyes are uncovered. He has the Holy Spirit upon him so that the scales of his human perspective, the limited vision that all of us have from only successive moments from one to the next to the next is removed, lifted from him for a time to be able to see down the corridors of time that only God should have to know. But it's given. And it's given to us this morning. And the clarity comes with these visions by the repetition. There are four of them and each one becomes more clear. We notice it's like a portrait or a picture you might look at. I have a picture and if you've been in my office, you've seen it. And if you haven't been in my office, you've seen it. It's a very famous uh, picture of these uh, men, iron workers, sitting on an I-beam. You know, New York lunch, 1932. Probably seen it online or any other office in the world. And it's these um, workers in the beginning of the previous century. And they're making a skyscraper in downtown New York City. And I've had this picture for years. And I look at it a lot because it's there. And I'm in my office a lot. And I'm there. And so I've seen this picture. It's 11 men. From the left to the right, as you skim, one's lighting a cigarette. One's eating lunch. Two of them are talking about something and laughing. The one guy looks really young. As you pan from left to right to the full end, 
The 11th man is just there holding a glass bottle, staring right at the camera. It's like he's looking right at you, and he knows you're watching him. And they're hundreds of feet above the ground. And you just take that in. It's amazing. Think about it. What are you afraid of? You know, there's so many angles on this picture. And over the years, I look at it, and then you see the bottom. And, you know, there's hazy buildings and open windows and no air conditioning. And you wonder if someone's in work right there, down, that, down, 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 down on that uh, mirror or the window. And you think that was someone's life, and it was there. And, you know, chronologically, if they're in their 20s, 30s at that time, they're dead now. So, the, and there was such a famous picture after the fact. They tried to find the real iron workers. They never could find them. No one knows who those guys are. They're gone. They're done. They're famous. They don't know it. They're on my wall. I don't know them. But when I look at that picture again and again, there's always more to see. And then from that high point in the camera, you look over their heads, and what you see is nothing more than the whole entire park in downtown New York City. All the trees and the billboards and the buildings, as far as the eye can see, to where it becomes blurry again. And this is the image, exactly what's going on here with Balaam. This man is lifted up high on top of a lofty place so that he would look over Israel. He had a look upon them so he could speak a curse over them. And we're told every time, Whenever he would look upon them, he'd only see a fraction of them. There's just so many. You don't really know the real number. And of course, when you're trying to do a military campaign, knowing the number of your enemy would be good. But it's, it's on edge. It's concerning. How, how many people of God are there? Balaam doesn't even know. Every time he gets to a high place, he has to look upon an angle and get a fraction of them and try to curse them. And every time he tries to curse them, there's a barrier. It's pushed back from him. Every curse bounces right back to him, and he can only bring out blessings from his mouth. This is his high place where he's looking to see the people of God. This barrier, this barrier, he says, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom God has not denounced? If God has spoken blessings over you, if you've believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are saved. If you've repented of your sins, then they are gone. What curse could fall upon you? You have no sin. It is gone. If you are saved, then you are saved. Israel doesn't even know this is happening. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And he forever lives to make intercession for his saints. For you. And you don't even know the spiritual dangers that are looking upon your head. And he is protecting you every day from them. You don't know what kind of temptations. You don't know what kind of pitfalls. You don't know what kind of things could have been your life. Could have been your curses. Could have been your downfall and your death. And here they are, wandering the wilderness, not knowing there is a powerful prophet seeking to bring them down, to accuse them, to curse them. Satan is the accuser, and oh, he would love to accuse you. And though your mind accuse you, and though you lie to yourself, God is not a man that he would lie. If he blessed you, then you are blessed. And he protects you while you sleep, and you know nothing of what's going on about the warfare for your soul. That is the world we live in, the spiritual world and the warfare that we fight. This blessing is a shield. It is something that covers us. Remember the first Israel, Jacob, 
who was given the name Israel. His whole life was a series of mistakes and protection. He would always make mistakes and then God would always come through and protect him. He wronged his brother. His brother wanted to harm him. He was protected from his brother. He wronged his father-in-law. His father-in-law wanted to harm him. He was protected from his father-in-law. He wrestled a mysterious man who apparently had the power to destroy his life, graced his hip, dislocated for a minute, and he says, I have seen the face of God and my life has been spared. He spared me again. God himself could destroy me and he spared me. That was the beginning of these blessings that are now over a multitude of a nation who are to be cursed but cannot be cursed because God has blessed them. And it can't even be numbered. The point of the story is they're never able to number Israel. Who's to say that you couldn't be these people? Who's to say the number ended with a generation? Who's to say the number ended with a geography? What if the people of God were to be a great, innumerable multitude of people? What if it is you and I now? Those blessings have come to us in Christ. This clear vision, it matches where he is. He is a man standing on a cliff with a clear physical vision. And what matches, what follows through a series of these oracles is that he, his spiritual vision, the clairvoyance, the clarity of his vision will become tight and honed and he will see every time he is looking upon Israel and he will see successively from time to time what is Israel? Who is Israel? So much so that after he looks upon them, he's enticed to join them. He says at the end of his first oracle, Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. He's seen so much of these people, that though he's a Gentile like you and me, he would say, I want to be over there with them. I want to be in their tents. Let me die the way they die. Let my end be like theirs because they are blessed. Do you see how you might have just entered that tent without even knowing all these old blessings? Trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second oracle comes and it's an unalterable blessing. If you remember, Isaac blessed his first Israel, his son Jacob. He blessed him by mistake. So Esau was supposed to have the blessing. And Isaac blessed Jacob instead. And then Esau came back and said, where is the blessing? And then Isaac said, I don't have it anymore. Those words that I spoke into there are gone. So if, if, if Jacob is a man that he can lie, he lies to his father and says, I'm your brother Esau, bless me. And if Isaac's a man that he can make a mistake... The second oracle says, God is not a man that he can lie. And so therefore, whatever blessing really happened there was not of the order of men. It can't be taken back. Isaac says, I can't bless you. I blessed your younger brother and he is blessed. It is done. Because the blessing was coming from the unchangeable God. The blessing was coming from a promise of old. 
And so here in this second oracle, he looks upon these people. He sees the seed of what that blessing was. And he says, God is not a man that he could lie. The reason the blessing is unalterable, it originates from an unalterable God. The reason you are blessed is because God says you are blessed in Christ. You have no other reason. He's not a man that he could lie, the son of man that he could change his mind. If you are blessed, you are blessed. If you are saved, you are saved. It is a question of his power. He says, can he save you? He has said, Christ, then therefore you will be in Christ. He has spoken, Christ is the way of salvation. Therefore it must be filled that you fulfilled that you would be saved in Christ. So Isaac blessed an individual man named Israel. And here Balaam is blessing a nation of people named Israel. Israel. That same blessing is only moved out from a small seed into a very large tree sprouting across the whole world. All these prophetic images, all these images of the vine. Jesus' story is about the vine dresser. It's one small seed of a person named Israel, but it produces a multitude unnumberable of people named Israel. This is what has come to us in this promise that we have in Jesus Christ. His salvation is like a rock. If you remember Jesus' words, he says in Matthew 7, Everyone who hears the words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock and he's saved. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is a fool. Who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell. And the floods came. And the earthquake was there with the wind blowing. And great was its fall. If God is not a man. That he cannot lie. He cannot change his mind. We are saved. Because we have trusted in the rock. We are not saved because of our faith. We are not saved because we just decided to trust in something really, really well. We are saved because we are trusting in the rock, the unchangeable God who is the foundation of our life. This is the reason these blessings cannot be broken. They rest upon the rock. This is the reason to take Jesus Christ's words and obey. You've trusted him. You've built your life on the rock. To take his words and disobey. You do not put your life on the rock. But everything else is shifting and shaking sand. And the blessing is proven by the oracle where it says that there is great triumph and dominion. What results from Israel is they're redeemed from slavery. He says that they come out of Egypt and they're given this image of a lion. They're told that they're very powerful, strong, like a lion. They rise like a lion and who can prevent them? Who can stop them? So in the context, they just came out of Egypt. This whole people has been rescued from the land of Egypt. And they're told that they would actually be victorious. They would be strong like a lion. And now for the third oracle. The third oracle starts off with a clear vision saying the man's eyes are open again and uncovered. The same blessing and the same victory comes to him. We're told in detail that the tents of Israel are to be blessed, the place where they live. There'll be fruitful water flowing in seeds in many waters. They're going to have a lot of prosperity. But here's the beautiful thing of the telescope. 
He leans in and looks down the telescope to discover that the victory described is no longer just to a nation. The same exact thing is described to one man. He says, a king, he shall rise and be higher. And then he says in verse 8, chapter 24, verse 8, God brings this king up out of Egypt. But Israel came out of Egypt. And Israel didn't have a king. And then he says that this king will be like a lion or a lioness crouching and no one can rouse her. Absolute lion-like power, victory. But he just said that about the whole nation. But now there's a king that should be just like the nation. From a multitude to an individual. This is the third oracle. And the fourth gets the clearest. An even clearer vision where a man's eyes are open. And the final vision, the farthest vision at all, he says, Let me tell you what this people would do to your people in the latter days. In the latter days. It's a technical phrase used throughout all the Old Testament to describe things to come in distant future. Achrei hayomim is all throughout there to say, in the latter days, in the latter days, this is very far down the road. And then in the New Testament, Paul says, we are in the latter days. It was all about Jesus Christ. We have been living in these latter days. What he is looking at, he says, I see him. I see him, Jesus Christ, a distant vision, pushing the limits, the spirit of perception. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but he's not near. It'll be thousands of years before he comes. And this telescope is different than just backyard astronomy. If you ever bought a telescope, you've probably been, I don't know, discouraged by the fact that you just can't find anything. I mean, I remember as a kid having a telescope being like, this is awesome because I've seen the TV and I know what NASA can do and I'm probably going to go look at a star and it's going to be amazing. And then you just look at a big black void and you never find anything anyway. And when you do find something, it looks just like if you maybe squinted with your own eyes, just a little bit better. Unless you're willing to put the money in, it doesn't really make sense to get a really nice telescope if not. Here is this man. He is leaning in to the telescope. He is crossing time and space. If you think about it, telescopes. Telescopes are the closest thing to time travel that we really have. They are time machines. When you cross enough space, time becomes weird. Light years. For the first time of a light ray to hit your cornea. And it will never hit the surface of the earth again. But that particular one hit your eye. And how long has it been in that void before it would meet you? It takes light years. Here he is, looking, leaning into his telescope, adjusting his prophetic telescope just enough to dial it in to look and get the settings just right that he would see the glory of God. And before... He actually did. He found it. I see him. A star. I found the star. A star shall come out of Jacob. 
scepter shall rise out of Israel, one from Jacob, one from Jacob, just one from Israel, will exercise absolute dominion. We need to have the clarity to have this vision in our life. We need this vision in our life. We are men and we lie to ourselves all the time. We are the worst prophets in the world. We are false prophets every day. We worry about this or are anxious about that. We lie about our past. We lie about our future. We ignore our very present. We need to know what he saw. We need to see Jesus Christ. You cannot, dare you ever, consider your past apart from Christ. How could you lie to yourself in such a way? Consider your past apart from Christ and all you have is guilt and shame, regret and remorse of things you should have done, things you could have done better. You dare you never look back without Jesus Christ, without knowing what he saw in that star, the morning star rising. Never consider this prophetic vision. Never consider your present apart from Jesus Christ. You will waste your days You will waste your life living outside of this one consuming truth that there is a man who is a star, the image of a king, who also has a scepter, the rod to rule the nations, and he has dominion over everything. How will you manage your week? How will you manage your time outside of this reality? You will live in vain. We need this vision. Maybe none of us have been given remarkable prophetic powers, but we have been given this vision. And it is a true vision. And you ignore it to your own demise. Never consider your future. Never consider your future apart from this star. Never consider your future apart from Jesus Christ. It will lead you only to false prophecies of things that usually never come to pass. And you will be riddled with anxiety and fear of all the hypotheticals of what could happen. Forgetting the fact that he is the one who is of old. He can speak the things from past to present and present to future. He holds your days and here he has given you a prophetic word about your latter days. Do not look down that telescope without him. For you will waste your life again. This is what Christmas is all about. Remember wise men are looking for stars. This is the Christ. He's the true Israel of God. The reason the curse cannot fall on you as the people of God is because the blessings of God began with him and he is a man that cannot lie. Yet the blessings of God extend to a man who is God and cannot sin. From the beginning of the blessing To the consummation of the blessing, God has wrapped you in both his arms. And all of your sin and anything you could do to ruin it does not matter. He is not a man that he could lie. Therefore, the prophecy has to be fulfilled and it has to be true. And he, of course, in all his wisdom, has secured salvation in such a way that the salvation arcs over all of our sin throughout the whole history of humanity and lands on the one man who happens to also be God and cannot sin to break the promises of the covenant. Therefore, you are wrapped in this dome of perfect blessing. Dare I say a dome, I don't know, like a rainbow? 
It arches over you. It's a promise that there will be no flood to take your life. Nothing could ever hurt you that would not be your life hidden in Christ. God is not a man that he should lie. But God could become a man that he would tell you the truth. Before Pontius Pilate. He says to Jesus, what is the truth? And Jesus says, that's why I'm here. I'm a true prophet. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the, that. Think of like how hard it is for a light ray to reach your eyes. It travels through a chasm that we know nothing about. The one who made that all and holds it in his hand came into this world so that you would be in him and never let go. Wise men seek him. Those who know how to read the signs of the times saw that star. And they knew what that meant. Have you seen the star of David? The star of Israel? The true Israel of God? Let us pray. Father, we thank you. If there's anyone here that does not know the true Israel of God, Lord, we pray that you would shine your light upon their hearts. Know you are powerful. You are not a man that can lie. You're not a man that has weak will and weak power. You have all power and all wisdom. And Lord, you love. Oh, I wish we could love like you love. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, may we love like you love. Fill us with your love. Pour out your love in our heart. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've given us. Lord, let us never consider our life. Never consider our life apart from you. Our past is with you. Our present is with you. Our future is with you. We are wrapped in your love. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.